Good morning. Good morning. It is so, it's like a favorite time of the year, right? You guys feeling it? Obviously, there's a game today. We're pumped because it's fall. I'm glad it's fall because you came back. You came back. We were wondering where you were all summer, and now you're back. It's so good to see you. You're tan. You know, you're refreshed. Uh, I love this season for our church. A lot of people are giving, I think, uh, churches a try again, and maybe for the first time, or maybe just to give it a go again. And I hope and pray, um, if you're new, that you uh, feel God's presence in your life here, but that you find a home, uh, a church home. Um, I am super excited for this series a couple, for a couple reasons. Normally, I do messages here, and when I go travel and speak somewhere, I'll go, oh, I, it worked at Community Church. I can just take that somewhere else and use it. This is the first time I've guinea-pigged about four other places before I bring it to you. So you're, you're getting like, this is, I've done this message a few times and very, very excited to do it. We're going to do a three-week series, and we want to talk about the furious love of God. This comes out of some of my study break, comes out of uh, some of what I've been, God's been doing in me. Remember, I've told you before, there's three really kind of ways God works in me to figure out what to bring up here. Um, one is what's, what's happening in our church and our teams get together and say, what are some of the needs? What's happening in our world uh, is another one. But thirdly, it's what's God doing in me? And this may be more than it ever has. Uh, Luke 15 has been uh, teaching me, uh, guiding me, uh, giving me great insight on the love of the Father. I want to talk about this love of the Father, um, this series. We have some objectives that I want to accomplish. One, I want you to be able to, at the end of three weeks, to answer, where are you? Sounds like a, a goofy question to answer, right? Well, I, I know where I'm at. I'm here or I'm... I'm at Community Church. No, I, I want you somehow to be able to figure out where are you at in the spiritual, relational kind of table of how people relate to God. And I want to give you some language and some definitions through the story of the prodigal son. Because I think what we do is we lose sight of, we just kind of call ourselves Christian uh, or spiritual or religious. And it's kind of a melting pot of a lot of different thoughts, beliefs, and ideas. I, I want to give you some language and some definition to know where you're at. Next, though, I, I want you to answer, who are you? Like, who, how does God see you? How do you see yourself? And who are you really? I think the story of the prodigal son will definitely uh, get us there. Last but not least, and maybe most exciting, I want you to embrace and know the Father's love. You may think that that is, again, redundant, but I would tell you most of us live with so much guilt and shame and shoulds and should nots that we don't understand fully the love of the Father. And I'm so excited to teach that this morning. So I, I, I want to do this where you are, uh, who you are, and the Father's love for you. It reminds me of the story of Oscar. Oscar was a good Lutheran. He was born a Lutheran, raised a Lutheran, and I have no issue with that. So you're just going to understand the story here. He moved into a neighborhood, though, that was largely all Catholic. 
Now they got along, just so you know, the story works this way. They all got along, they believe in the same God, the same Jesus, they just practice a little bit differently. In fact, on Fridays, if you're a good Catholic, you don't eat meat, right? We know this. The problem was that Oscar was a Lutheran, and so every Friday he'd go out to his beautiful barbecue and slap down a nice venison steak that the aroma would just go through this neighborhood of all just good Catholics, and they was killing them. It was killing them. So they go to their priest, and the priest realizes this is going to be an issue. They said, listen, we're struggling. The priest starts meeting with Oscar. Over weeks, over classes, finally to the peak of um, in the cathedral, they have him there. They have the holy water, and they're saying, you were born a Lutheran. You were raised a Lutheran, but now you are Catholic. And they think, oh, all the neighbors feel like this is going to be great. The next Friday rolls around. And they're in their backyards, and they smell the venison steak again. And they're just in panic, so they call the priest, and he runs over to Oscar's house, goes into the backyard, opens the fence in shock as he sees Oscar over his barbecue and that venison steak with a bottle of water, pouring water out, saying, You were raised a deer. You were born a deer. But now you are a walleye. Yeah. Could work. I don't know. I mean, it could work. I think in light of that, we have a lot of terms in religion and in faith. We have lots of terms. We have lots of things that we think we are, that we're trying to change what we're supposed to be. There's so much out there. I believe that Luke 15 could ground us a little bit and helping us get some more clarity about where we're at. So we're going to talk largely about the section in Scripture, the prodigal son. So if, you're, if you want to open your Bibles, you're more than welcome. Luke 15, I'll give some backdrop to the whole chapter. But we're going to be largely um, in verses 11 through uh, 37. So here we go. I'm going to read it for you. Now I just lost it. Uh, Luke 13, 14, 15. There we go. Can we have elevator music, please, right now? <laughs> okay, here it is. Uh, Luke 15. Let me do the NIV, too, so it's a little bit easier to understand. Luke 15, verse 11. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got all... Together all he had and set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there, uh, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went off and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields with pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I'm starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Doggone it, I just lost it again. I don't like technology. <laughs> Hold on. You know, it's, it's switching me to red letter to black letter. I don't know why. Uh... 
<laughs> I need just a Bible, right? A real Bible. This just should teach me a lesson that I should not use that. Look at that. Boom. Now the struggle is, can I read this Bible? Um, so he, yeah, glasses too? This is awesome. This is awesome. All right. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, the father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and both you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house. Put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf. We have uh, been fattening for so long. We, we must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. So the party became. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields. Working and he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of his servants what was going on, and the servant said, Your brother is back. Your brother is back, and your father has killed the fattened calf, and we're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in, and the father came out and begged him. But he replied, All these years I've slaved for you, and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one goat for at least a feast with some of my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back, after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing a fattened calf. And his father says to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed with me. And everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now is found. This is the story of the prodigal son. You've heard it before. It's a great story. But I want to give you some backdrop because there's two other stories that are important for you to know in the whole chapter of Luke 15. So I want to give you a couple backdrops. First, Luke 15, Jesus is responding to something that's gone on. There are religious people who are confused on why Jesus would be hanging out with sinful people. Now, you may think this is not, I mean, this is a little bit shocking. Why wouldn't Jesus hang out with sinners? Let's give some context. These are the religious people that are actually behaving correctly in this culture and this time. We could probably safely assume it would be a lot like someone being a good Christian. Now, when you say, why were they even questioning this? Because in their mind, in the Jewish culture, you would not want to be around someone like a tax collector or a prostitute because that sin was unclean and you want to distance yourself. Now, you may think this morning, that's not me. I challenge you to think about what sinful behavior repulses you to the point you would be difficult to associate with them. What kind of person out there in our world today that's committing immorality, what kind of person, if they sat in a chair next to you this morning at church, you would struggle to sit next with them? This is what these religious leaders feel and are questioning Jesus. Why does this man welcome sinners and actually eat with them? We might, we might respond the same way this morning with certain people. There are three stories. This is really critical. In Jewish culture, there's a thing called... Uh, emphatic, Semitic kind of triplets 
or, or three times something is said. You, you read in the Old Testament, uh, and even in the New, holy, holy, holy. Why is that important? Because three meant permanent. Anytime something was said three times, it was permanent. You could say to someone, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you, and it was, okay, that's done. It's, it's going to happen. Jesus doesn't mistakenly just tell three stories to respond to these religious leaders. It's his third story. What does that say about what Jesus is trying to do? To make permanent and a bond about how the Father loves people. Next is this audience of religious leaders. You have to keep in mind as you read parables is what is the audience thinking? And we'll go over that as we go through this story in the next three weeks that the audience that he's talking to, largely what we're going to call in a little bit, their older brothers. When we look at the story, the older brother did everything right. He followed all the rules. He was working in the field. If we had sons and daughters that lived like the older brother, we'd probably say, good son, good daughter. Jesus is responding to a group and posturing them as older brothers. Yes, the story is about the father loving and bringing lost things back. But it's also an interesting insight into this audience that he's speaking to. Last but not least, the father had two sons. Now your temptation is going to be is to go through this story. Well, I'm not the younger brother. I'm not a prodigal. I'm not an older son. I'm not the father, obviously. I'm the third son or daughter you don't read about who had it all together, right? My family was whacked. I'm good. I'm good. Uh, It's interesting how we can raise sons and daughters and how we can do that the same, largely the same, but one goes one way and one goes the other. I feel like Jesus is teaching this too for us to understand. Part of this is the nature of who we are, and I want you to understand that uh, as Henry Nouwen will talk in The Return of the Prodigal Son, we in some ways are in all of these positions at one time in our life and maybe returning to them. The prodigal son is rich with some direction for us. So I want to talk this morning about the younger brother. I want us to to look into what is this younger brother uh, like, and so I'm going to piece out some of the text. We're not going to go through the whole thing. Next week we'll go through older brother. But I want to dive into, let's, let's understand the cultural background and what's happening with this younger brother. Now obviously the younger brother is called a prodigal. What is a prodigal? A a wanderer, someone who walks away, who is lost. That's largely uh, what what people view the prodigal son as and would say that most people look at the prodigal son as uh, an exaggerated picture of someone. And so it's hard for us to think we're prodigals because if you don't have that story of leaving with your parents' money and spending it on prostitutes and wild living... We think, ah, that's not me. Never had that prodigal story. I want to change your perspective this morning. Luke 15, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger said of his father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Why is this such a big deal? I mean, today, isn't that kind of what happens? Our kids go to college and they don't say that, but you're going to end up giving a share of your estate to the college, right? So they kind of ask it in a roundabout way. Um, Trish and I just sent our last daughter to uh, Azusa, and uh, you know that's. By the way, we're empty nesters, and uh, you know I thought a lot of things would happen when the the nest was empty, and 
just say, you know, back to the honeymoon era. We had a fight the first morning. I thought, oh my gosh, this is going to be rough. Let me give you context, and I'll talk about Allie being dropped off. This father hears from his youngest son. In Jewish culture, a younger son would not ask this. This already confuses audience. What? That's for an older son, not a daughter. Daughters were um, married off, and actually the, which I, I don't know why we got away from that. You would actually pay the father of those daughters. I would be a wealthy man if, if this could still be practiced today. Um, so this, this younger brother asks, now it's not dividing the estate 50-50. In many commentaries, there's a debate about how much. Two-thirds to as, as little as one-eighth. He's not even asking for much. But notice here that the father, what doesn't he do? He doesn't try to stop him. Okay, so we dropped off Allie. And many of you know I, I, I grew up doing magic tricks as a kid. I love that culture. I got to go to the Magic Castle again with Adam Christing, who was here on our stage last year. Uh, and he's a member. I was totally pumped to go again. But imagine if Allie, as we were dropping her off to APU, said, Dad, Mom, I've changed my mind. You know, the money you're going to spend on college for the next four years, I'd like to have that now. And I'm going to go to downtown Los Angeles and become a magician. I mean, how many of us in our best day might just with a lot of reserve and patience just sit our child down, right? Can we talk about this? I mean, I would like, let's just talk this out. You know, what are the positives and negatives? That would be the good way to do it. I mean, normal way we do it, right, is what? There is no way you're going to college. Notice what the father doesn't do. He doesn't try to talk his son out of this. He, he doesn't try to, even in a great positive way, hey, son, this might not be a smart thing to do. He doesn't say a word. What's our first lesson as we look at this? First, true love. Real love. The love, this furious love that the father has for us is he will let us go. Many of you this morning, maybe you were a prodigal at one time of your life. Maybe you are this morning. But many of you know prodigals, whether sons or daughters or friends. Do you know the best expression of love is to let go? That's how much the Father loves you and I. He will allow us to abuse him and to use him religiously as much as we want because he eventually wants something else to happen. We'll see that in a minute. But he's going to let you go. He's going to let you make those choices. It says that not long after this, the younger son gets together all he has and he sets off for a distant country and squanders his wealth and wild living. It had to be a heartbreaking moment. If you can make a movie... Dad, I want the money that you're going to owe me as if you were dead, right? Because in Jewish culture, that would be you were dying. Now, not only is it horrendous that he would ask this culturally, it was actually an insult, not just to the father, but the entire village. The whole village would want to go through a Jewish custom of cutting him off. So it says not long after that, he goes to this distant country 
and he leaves, not only does he just want his money, he doesn't really care about the relationship with his father. It says, after he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. I just want to point out something about verse 14. When we let people go, when God lets us go, it often has to get to where we've spent it all. I'd like to think that we're really smart and we pick it up pretty quick. It's usually when we've spent everything and then we're in need. Do you know some of the richest times in ministry aren't when things are good? It's when you're in need. It's when you're broken. Verse 15, it says, So he went and hired himself out to be a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Now, you know that the most unclean animal to a Jew is what? A pig. Jesus, again, let's go back to his audience. Religious Jews, getting it all right. This had to be another shocker. Not only did he ask early, I wish you were dead, Dad. Give me your, your, your death money. I wanna, I'm going to leave and spend it on unclean practices. Not only that, he's now reduced to cashing in his religious connection. All of the things that would make him unclean, Jesus places him in front of pigs. Jesus has put him kind of at the end of everything. My second point and observation about this is that we all must wander. All of us have been, you may not want to say the word, a prodigal. I'm going to show you that in a minute, but all of us have to wander. God lets us go in the way that we feel like life should be operated and, and lets us work, but we've got to all wander at some point. The Amish call it rumspringa. And it's when you're 16 years old, and you know what happens, that they allow them to what? They encourage them, go party. Go party, go sleep around, do everything you need to, because when you come back, you're saying, I'm going to sacrifice and leave those things behind. There's an interesting principle there, isn't there? All of us at some point have chosen our way, and God will allow us to take that path. We all must wander. It says that in verse 17, which we get to, which, friends, I have to say is one of the most powerful and exciting phrases in Scripture, especially in the Gospel of Luke, when he came to his senses. Notice that the older brother, we'll talk about him next week, never has this line. He is doing it right. He is a good working son. If we were to put medals of what, what he was doing in his life and wasn't doing in his life, we would prop him up as being a faithful Christ follower, a, a good Christian. But this never comes in his story, in the part of his story. It says that the younger brother, the prodigal, the one that has wandered, the one that's been let go, the one that's spent it all, is in a place of need, has now come to his senses. What does senses mean? When we use the phrase, you, you came to your senses, it's, it's reference to you woke up to the stupid activity you were involved in. You, you woke up to that. Now, I want to suggest I think that's what he felt, but I want to go deeper. 
is because it means a little bit more than that. I actually think it means that he recognized what he lost. This picture for me has been haunting me. I've been following the earthquakes in Italy. And when I think of this idea that he came to his senses at the, at the foot of these pigs, I don't think he was grieving, as, as he'll talk about food, I don't think he's grieving about all of the pleasurable, pleasurable things that he got from his father. I think he's grieving. When we say come to your senses, it's, it's grieving the loss of relationship. It's grieving the loss of, of what he had had with his father. I think coming to our senses is when everything's a rubble around you. You've been let to wander. God's let you go to make those choices. The scripture is filled with this. This, this principle that eventually our way must be lived out by ourselves and we must try it out and it fails, doesn't it? Let me give you a couple, a way to, to think about this. Every one of us grows up in a home where largely we raise older brothers and sisters. What do I mean by that? We need rules, don't we? We, we, need, we need some older brother in us. Uh, we need to know, look, look left and right before we cross the street. Some of these things are very good, but eventually we've got to let go of the older brother because that the rules aren't substitution for the relationship. So what happens largely is we grow up in the way we've grown up and what contributes to the box of how we view life. This box represents kind of our structure of how we view the world and our way, how we view ourselves how we view others, how we view God. We have experiences from our family, whether good or bad things done to us. We have experiences from the world. We've read things. We have schooling. All this starts to form this, this kind of way we think about life and God. Now, the interesting part is we form this box. It's hard to change it because studies show that you're only on your best day willing to be challenged about 5% of your worldview. Your view of yourself, you're only open to about 5%. I mean, that's, that's a struggle for churches on Sunday morning to be only allowed 5% to question how you view life. So this box represents our way. But you know what starts to happen? Life does. And when life happens, right, we all know it could be the, the health news that you get that you have some disease or some ailment, and you're thinking, why? It could be the end of a relationship. It could be you got news that your spouse is divorcing you or has been unfaithful to you. You start to see cracks in the box of how you view life, and you know that, boy, it doesn't take much, but maybe finances or, or how you provide for yourself, that starts to fall apart, and your, your whole world starts to fall apart. It is only then that you're actually able to recognize who you are, where you are. The problem is the box becomes the, the barrier. The box becomes the problem because we can't, we can't fully come to God until we've wandered, we've been let go, and our, our view fails, our way fails. 
This is consistent all through Scripture. Proverbs 28, 26, Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. The proverb says we, we often trust our way, and then it needs to fall apart. You guys know this principle, right? You, you need to let your kids, as you've raised your kids, and you were probably raised that way, you say don't do it, you say don't do it, but what do you got to let them do? You got to let them do it. Proverbs 14, 12, before every person lies a road that seems to be right. Friends, I, I want to say, I've had a box, and I've formed my own kind of structure, and I fight keeping that box rigid my own way, and often it seems very right. And you talk to somebody who, who has this kind of way they view the life and the world and God, it's hard to break people from that. Nope, you're not convincing me. And this happens in churches too. And why do we think we have people switching churches all the time? It's because, ah, you don't fit my box. You're not fitting the way I view the world. And we're reluctant to let people or God challenge that. It is when the box falls apart that we're open. The 5% goes to 100%. Yes, help me. Because the way I thought about the world is different. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53.6 This principle of our lives being let go by the pure, furious love of God saying, I'm, I love you enough to let you wander. And eventually it's going to fail you, but I'm not going to hold that over your head. I'm just going to let it happen. It says in verse 17, again, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I'm starving to death? He could have got another job. He could have got another job and worked his way out, been a good entrepreneurial person, you know, pull up his bootstraps. But he's recognizing the relationship of what he had with the father. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. He knows what he's done relationally. He, there's not even a mention here about the money, right? How many of you feel guilty going home and going, Dad, I blew all that money. He's, he cares more about the relationship now. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Uh-oh, he's making another deal. So he got up and went to his father. The younger brother largely wants a relationship with the father that he can get something from him. Now before we cast him off as a very decadent, dark picture in this story, could you agree with me for a moment as we go through this that all of us have wandered, all of us have had a, our way to think about life, and could it be true then as God has let us go, he had to let us fall apart because we were doing the same thing as the prodigal, trying to have God fit our box of how we think of him and get something from him. If you're not convinced, maybe it's like this. I relate to God on my own terms. I'm going to relate to God how I choose, and, and he's going to fit the, the way I think about him, and that's the way it's going to be. Or how about this phrase? I believe in God if. I've heard this tons from people. I only believe in a God that will do this.
for me. It'll appease my feelings about a God. I won't buy into a God that doesn't do that. And we, we start to, to shape a God for ourselves, the scripture says. How oh, this and my thoughts and my and ideas are my way. It's, it's about what you think about God and about yourself. It's not about what God thinks. This is why scripture is dangerously running uh, a sense in churches today, but the, the priority is the scripture. It's not about what we think. It's about what God thinks. It's about who God is. It's about who God says we are. My desires are most important. Man, I've been here. This is where sin comes in. I believe in God. I believe in all that. But ah, I'm gonna, there's, a, there's a closet in my life. I'm just going to just let exist. That's prodigal. That's wandering. That's, a, that's your way and a way you've formed for yourself a religious system. I fit God into my life when it works. I'm going to fit God into a place in my life that kind of works for me. This is the younger brother. He's just saying, hey, thank you, Father. I'm going to get what I need from you, and I'm going to set up my own system that works for me. This is what's going to work for me. In other words, it's my way. It's my way. Verse 20 says, But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to him. And we're going to talk about the father. Throw his arms around him and kisses him. Just as a preview, the father is breaking every cultural religious rule right there. We'll talk about that in two weeks. Verse 21, it says, The son says to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. We'll find that his, his intention was to get fed. And he starts to make a deal. Hey, just make me one of your hired servants. Isn't that kind of how we do it too? Another way we know that we are a prodigal, a younger brother, is when we start making deals with God. God, I'll do this for you. Could you give this for me? There are no deals with, with God. There's no strings attached with that. The Father is sending messages to you this morning, saying, I just want to be with you. Brendan Manning says it this way, God loves you unconditionally, as you are, not as you should be. Remember we said you can should all over yourselves when you live in that guilt of religious behavior? of I should be doing more, I should, should not be doing this, and it's all about guilt. Friends, the Scripture says there is no more guilt. There is freedom in Christ. Why? Because He doesn't require you to be perfect. He says, I want to be with you. God loves you unconditionally, as you are, not as you should be, because nobody is as they should be. I don't care how religious you are this morning, how nice you look, we all are not as we should be without Christ. I, I want to I show a video for you. It's, it's an interesting internet site and a group of people that have started this kind of missional activity. And it's to go out and to interview homeless people. They interview homeless people and they put them into the social media to reunite them with loved ones they haven't seen in years. I want you just to watch for a moment. Thank you. 
Mom, I love you and I miss you and I need to see you. When's the last time you saw Mary? About 10 years. You know, my kids, I I can never find them all the time. Sure. What's going on? This is a cry out to my dad. Sorry, you know, everything that's going on with my situation right now. You know, I'm going through same thing that you went through when I didn't, when I didn't see you for me. I love you. I can't wait to see you. And I'm looking for you with all my heart. Whatever it is that I need to do to get back to y'all, I'm doing it. I'm just trying to find out what it is, y'all. And, and to, to, to my wife, I love you too. message for somebody here. We all wander. We've all had the box of our lives fall apart. So you may be dressed and very religious this morning, but be a younger brother. And I don't know where you're at in your journey this morning, but we could agree that the God of the universe is furiously pursuing you and sending messages. You know what he's sending messages for? He's pursuing a reunion with you. He wants you back. He, he wants you back. A woman came up the last service and said, I've, 
I've squandered some of my father's money. I, I feel horrible weeping. And I just looked at her and said, God loves you as you are. She received the message. I think some of you this morning are wandering. And maybe the box of your life is starting to fall apart. God loves you right where you're at. And he's asking that you embrace that, you come home. We have communion this morning, and there's no better way for us to respond to coming to the cross as believers. But maybe some of you need to just come home and just confess to the Father that, name it, this is what I am, but I'm coming home. Father, would you help us hear the message this morning from your spirit, this miracle of your furious love pursuing us, pursuing a reunion. In Jesus' name, amen.